Okay, so let's pray and then I'll set us up <clears throat> for our discussion. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the Otter Creek body of believers. Thank you for the spirit that is fostered in this body, the spirit that we don't know everything and we don't have to know everything, but we're going to struggle and stumble along the way with each other and bear each other's burdens and hold each other accountable and make ourselves vulnerable and learn from each other and try to keep to a trajectory that sometimes seems dimly lit but we're all stumbling and bumbling together faithfully trusting that this is the way to the kingdom of heaven. And we can experience kingdom living in the here and now as we stumble and bumble together on this sometimes dimly lit path. Help us to trust and help us to have faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is not an all-conclusive list, but these are some of the virtues that we've talked about over the course of this semester. And you know, we've looked at James and the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs, wisdom literature in the Bible. We pulled out virtues and, and talked about them some, and then we've tried to put into practice simple everyday practical exercises or new habits, trying to incorporate a new habit or routine into our, into our lives. Um, and so, again, this is not an all-inclusive list, but these are the ones that came to our mind as we were reflecting on the class. And then, in the, so in the smaller font are the little practices, and we just pulled out the one that may have meant the most to us on that virtue, but the one that meant the most to you on that virtue may not even be up there. That doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you today and hear how you played with it, failed at it, want to try it again. But the main, what I wanted to contribute to today's lesson was to encourage you to pick something that's either up here or that's not up here. Just one practice and try to really incorporate that into your life as part of as part of your life moving forward from December 17 forward. This is a new life practice for you. Um, it may be that more than one of these stick, and if more than one sticks, that's great. But I, I encourage you not to try to do all of this. 
And I encourage you not to try to do five of them. I encourage you to really try hard to do one. And if three or four stick, great. But really hone in on one. Again, it may not be up here. Um, and let that be your takeaway from our semester together. Um, I, I have I have found that um, you know being in classes like this with people who are as thoughtful as the people in this room are, and for me going to twelve-step meetings and for me reading particular literature and certainly dinner parties and life group meetings that that if I don't incorporate it this time, if I don't pick it this time and incorporate it into my, li into my life this time, it's going to come back up. So just pick one. Don't overdo it. Keep it simple. I would like to reiterate that uh, I have, uh, as always, I love teaching at Otter Creek and love the community that we have here and uh, always grateful to get to teach here and have been wonderful to be with you all this uh, this fall. It's been great to get to teach with Laura. I think I said this at the beginning, I don't think we had really taught together in maybe 20 years. We uh, did youth ministry stuff in South Bend, Indiana many, many years ago and uh, it's been great fun getting to teach with Laura again and I've enjoyed that a great deal. Um, let me I'll, I'll, I'll do a few more kind of introductory comments as well. Then we'll do our last think, pair, share for the, for the term. And then we'll kind of open it up to group discussion. Uh, one of the, I was having a conversation with one of my friends um, at a gathering Friday night. And he talked about how one of the major things that had made a difference with him in dealing with life was... Uh, and, and he put his hands up like this and he said, I stopped holding the steering wheel so tight and I started giving a looser grip to it. And I, related to, I relate to that a lot um, because the way I have, um, uh, as a younger person and a younger man, the way I thought about you know, becoming a good person or being a good person entailed a great deal of tight grip on the steering wheel and just having to hold on tight and I always try to be in control of my will and to be in control of everything that's happening around me in a tight grip. And, um, and he was relating to me how, as he had loosened up some uh, and rested in first the love of God and rested in the fact that he could not be separated from the love of God. <coughs> and that scary place, right? Because it's a scary place to let go of because we're all kind of terrified of our character defects, I think. If we really face our character defects and know what we could do in our character defects, it's kind of terrifying sometimes to think, think of letting go. Uh, to letting go of uh, our will in that way. But he talked about as he rested in the love of God and he let go of such a tight grip that um, it was a scary place, but that it also had allowed him to have a certain kind of freedom over certain things in his life that he had never had that kind of freedom before in his life. And I relate a great deal to that, and I, and I appreciated that reminder. And I was, I was reminded just this morning of, there's this text in, in Colossians where 
he says, uh, put to death, therefore, in you whatever is earthly. And then he gives a list of some of those things. And I remember years ago reading that passage and being kind of annoyed with it because I thought, well, that way, this is, this, first of all, this is Paul or Pauline literature, you know, Deuteropaul or whatever, however you think about those things. This Pauline literature. And Paul, the great apostle of grace, who has made it very clear that we can't kill it, we can't put to death in us, that it's always by the grace of God, right? The Romans 6 and 7. We're slaves to the stuff and we're dependent upon the grace of God to allow us to live not according to the law of sin and death. So here he is in Colossians 3 saying, put it to death. And then, well, why, why are you saying put it to death here? So I, you know, did the geeky thing and pulled out the old uh, Greek concordance there and looked up the word. And it turns out one way you can translate that verb is let die. Let die. And it's a word that is used with regard to atrophies of the muscle. You know, atrophy, right? You stop using a muscle and then all of a sudden it just gets weak very quickly. You, if you have a knee surgery and you sit in a hospital bed for a couple of days, your leg muscles start to shrink up pretty quickly. That's atrophy. And so the, the note for Paul there, I loved, I appreciated that. It's that a lot of times it's about letting certain things die and then practicing other things. Letting this die and practicing other things. Letting this die and practicing other things. And so one of the things we've tried to say this, this, uh, this uh, term is that one of the ways the grace of God enters our lives is in this um, sowing seeds of, of productive, fruitful practices in our lives. And sometimes it can take a great number, you know, just like um, growing a crop takes a great deal of work and time, of plowing, of sowing, of weeding, of tending, of caring, rain, time. And in time, in the midst of all of those kinds of practices, things are cultivated anew. And so a similar sort of thing of, you know, as we look at our lives and we let our lives, we think of our lives as cultivating something new, then some beautiful things can begin to happen. Some beautiful different kinds of things can begin to happen. But it does take work. It does take willingness on our part. Right, just like growing a crop, we're dependent upon the, the gift of God for the growth, right? But we still have to cultivate. Our job is to cultivate. And so these are ways then of, of, of cultivating, becoming a truer, freer human being. It's not about any sort of works righteousness. It's all gift. It's all the love of God. But these things are about cultivating a way of life that's beautiful and that's free and that's lovely and that can allow us to be something um, embodying that sort of beauty and embodying that sort of freedom. So um, let me just talk through these really quick. We talked about um, the notion, we, we played off of the uh, proverb, answer a fool according to his folly and he'll be wise in his own eyes. Don't answer a fool according to his folly else he'll think he's wise, you know. So, so the, the notion there is got to figure it out. you got to grow in wisdom in order to figure out when you answer the fool and when you don't answer the fool. Uh, so we played off of that. Sometimes we just need to listen more and talk less, shut our mouths and listen. And then other times we do need to speak up and say what needs to be said. Uh, this takes a great deal of discernment, and both of them take a great deal of courage. 
Uh, most all of these take a, a great deal of courage. And you remember that courage is the practice of doing what you think is right even when it is frightening to do so. Or even when it is going to cause oneself pain or discomfort or potential negative consequences is, is what courage is all about. Um, powerlessness, that there's all sorts of things over which we are powerless in the world. And one of the suggested uh, steps we, we, uh, practices we suggested was just take the next step in some area of powerlessness without trying to control the outcome. Uh, we talked about this notion out of the book of James, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And uh, the, uh, one of the suggested practices we gave was this uh, Buddhist practice of Tonglen. Um, as a quick reminder, Tonglen is this uh, meditative breathing practice that is grounded in the notion that our natural inclination is to hold pain at a psychic arm's distance from ourselves. That when we, when we encounter a kind of whatever pain we have, psychological pain or real pain that we, we're dealing with, our tendency is to, to want to look away from it psychologically. I just don't want to, have to, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with that. No. And hold it at arm's length. The practice of Tonglen actually suggests counterintuitively that we stare at that pain and we let the pain hit us just as hard as it'll hit us. And we sit in that pain and we let it hit us. And then in letting us, it hit us on the in-breath, letting it hit us on the out-breath, trying to rest in a place of acceptance, a place of serenity, and a place of trying to be at peace with that. And let it hit me. And then try to be at a place of serenity about that. The next step in this practice of Tonglen then is then to move into uh, universalizing that pain. So you take that pain that's particular to you and you bring to mind all the other people that deal with that kind of pain and let it hit you. And then on the out-breath you desire peace and serenity and acceptance for them in their place. For me, one of the things that that does is that it moves me from the temptation to self-pity in my pain and it moves me into a place of solidarity and openness to be kind to other people in their pain. So it's this, it's this beautiful sort of way of, it does, in, in any way, not in any way does it discount that the pain is real. Pain is real. But it allows the pain to become a place of where I can then be in a place of, of being attentive to others and kind to others and merciful to others and theirs. Uh, praying for enemies, we, we suggested that you make a list of stuff that you, if you, if you were completely uninhibited, take a list of stuff that you would wish God would give you and then for two weeks, uh, twice a day, take that list and pray it for someone that you resent. Uh, to, to just try it and see what happens. Uh, mercy. Um, <coughs> Laura, I remember Laura talking, talking about this one and give, give some great examples. Um, but just try, try making and keeping some merciful obligations. Look for someone to whom uh, w you can be merciful. Or look at a social situation in which you can be merciful and then d do it. Make, a, make an obligation to it. Write it on the calendar and then do it and practice it. Uh, justice. Uh, that we become aware of uh, places of privilege that we may have and then we practice the courage to speak a word of justice in a situation that may be somewhat threatening to speak up. Um, to, to, to pay enough attention to what's going on around us 
To not be so distracted by all of the things that we can distract ourselves with and to focus on a given situation. Educate ourselves about a given situation so that we actually know what's going on. We try to understand the complexity of the situation, not simple solutions, but understand the complexity of a situation. And then try to speak a word of justice into that setting. Worry. Um, talked a lot about practicing mindfulness, finding ways of just to pay attention to where your feet are, plant your feet on the ground, to listen, use your senses to pay attention to what's in the room, what's around you, uh, to practice different kinds of breathing. Um, there's lots of stuff that you can find on different kinds of ways of breathing, of de dealing with anxiety. But I suggest you don't, you don't take lightly the importance of breathing and how, how significant that can be. Uh, the practice of receiving rebuke uh, or, or being teachable, the, the classical uh, virtue word for this is docility, uh, to be willing to be teachable, to be willing to receive rebuke. And one of the practices we suggested here is actually to seek out feedback. You know, you might ask your supervisor, tell me something I could do to do better. You might ask your spouse, tell me something I could do better about this. Uh, you might ask your kids, tell me a way I can be a better dad. <coughs> Whatever the case may be. And then treasure. Um, uh, I like that Laura, Laura suggested on this, pull out your calculator. You know, a lot of times we tend to be more um, optimistic about what we may be doing than what we're actually doing. And sometimes just pulling out the calculator, pulling out a piece of paper and writing it down, looking at the budget, looking at the spreadsheet, and seeing what actually am I doing here might be a helpful way to think about um, practicing uh, our treasure, how we're thinking about our treasure and sharing and the justice of sharing. So, um, like Laura said, that's not an exhaustive list, but hopefully some to spur your uh, imagination and spur possible practices for you. So let's do this. Choose somebody around you who's not your spouse. And why don't you share, each of you take 30 seconds, 30, 45 seconds to share uh, something that you've tried just this term, this fall, and uh, what you learned from it or what you want to try to do with it uh, down the way. Okay, so something you tried and um, something you might want to do with that going forward. Everybody clear? All right, so find somebody to talk to. Go.
this list and uh, we will do that and uh, maybe we'll get a uh, few more notes with it perhaps we haven't been good about emailing in the last month <laughs> but we'll try to do this one yeah. so uh, something that you tried this uh, this term what your experience was something that you may want to try uh, or plan to try uh, going forward. <laughs> Alan? Karen and I are working on breathing. Good. So just the the, the, the formula was too complicated for me. The next two times, 12 divided by 4 to the exponent of 6. Oh, I got that. Two pi r squared. Yeah. That felt like how I was breathing already. So <laughs> the square breathing. Yeah. Square work very you. simple, yeah. And so we were both talking about the uh, the helpfulness of the calmness and the clarity and just the the physical changes yeah. when you focus on breathing. Good, good. The other way I can make that other thing much more simple is simply to say it's six twelve nine. Six twelve nine. Breathe in for six, hold it for twelve, out for nine, and repeat. Yeah. And you can do your six as fast or slow as you need to, right? And just adjust it there. So, good. Thank you. Anybody else trying breathing? Anybody else try do, doing breathing? No. See? Oh, one thing that, that, that you said that I, when I was sitting there, I thought that I, I really liked it. When you were talking about exercise, when you talked about the difference between great exercise and good exercise. think on that you know one of the I think it's important that we began to see perfectionism actually as a serious vice um, and I say that as a recovering perfectionist you know but perfectionism really is a very serious vice um, because um, you know the, and people will talk about how uh, the the great is the enemy of good or the good is the enemy of the great and things of that sort and but th there's a difference between striving for excellence and being perfect. All right, to strive for excellence is rooted in the virtue traditions where you're always seeking to improve, but perfection is typically rooted in some sort of legalistic standard, and if we can't meet the legalistic standard, well, we say, well, what the heck, you know, just forget it. But that's very damaging to us. And so the notion of seeing these things as practices and always shooting to work up 
improvement in the practices uh, can have a profound difference in, in our lives. As a matter of fact, you know, the perfectionism stuff can keep us from living our lives in a way that, that has a level of freedom to it. Um, and so I think that's, that's very, very helpful. Oh, one more thing. The fourth thing that friends have, I heard years, years ago, repetition, habit, discipline, whatever. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Uh. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Somebody else? Something you tried or something you want to try? I, it's, I'm a perfectionist, okay. Uh, but in a lot of areas, some I can get lax. But the thing you said that really hit me was perfect is the enemy of good enough. I was in my younger days a preacher's wife raising children, and I thought as such, I had to hold my kids to everything the whole church thought, and I think I did them damage in so far as feelings of guilt and even myself. And so, but this morning on the way to church, I was listening to Christian radio, and this song was all about how unworthy I am. And I said, wait, I've been spending time with joy and peace. I'm going to listen to that one. So and, you know, but anyway, that was big to me. Yeah, good. That perfection is the enemy of good enough. And that Jesus has made up for that action. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I remember uh, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, Laura and I were in a counseling session. Um, uh, and, you know, we've done, we've, done a, we've done quite a number of counseling sessions through the years. Um, and this one, 10 or 15 years ago, in this particular session, we were talking about parenting. And I remember the, the counselor said, I was, I was talking about some of my fears about messing up in parenting. And she said, she said, you know, I, I would suggest you use an 85% rule. She said, if you get it right 85% of the time, that's really good. And the 15% of the time that you screw up, one, allows your kids to know they don't have to be perfect, and two, allows you the opportunity to apologize to your kids and teach them how they can learn how to apologize themselves. And that was, that was terribly helpful to me. Um, and so I suggest that as, as a consideration along those lines. Thank you. Somebody else, something you found helpful or want to keep working at? With all of these things, I think depending on your personality, some are more difficult than mm -hmm. others, right? So, me personally, like I hate this thing, fair share thing. Yeah. It makes me terribly un uncomfortable. Yeah. Talking right now makes me terribly, I hate it. When you were talking earlier in the term about exercise, when you exercise and go work out or whatever, you want it to be hard because that's how you grow, that's how you change. And so I think for me, it stuck with me that times I need to make myself uncomfortable um, because that's how you actually do yeah. improve. Where most of the time, I would much rather just sit here in silence and in a bubble, and it's it's a lot easier. But yeah. maybe we need to be uncomfortable more often. That's great. Thank you. That's terribly helpful. And yeah, so I think when I can lean into that, because um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right on the, whatever you call it, the Myers-Briggs things, I'm right there on the extrovert, introvert, and so depending upon the day, I can be one or the other pretty seriously. And, um, but I generally hate it when people do turn and talk to the person next to you. Uh, I just, I don't like it at all. Uh, how many of you, how many of you do dislike it? Let me see. That's am isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah, most. I'd say about eighty-five percent. 
So see, I've been giving you all the gift of growth <laughs> in that. Um, but there really is, uh, I, I just think that's so helpful, right? We, as we learn to lean into what makes us uncomfortable uh, can be, because what it does is it, it helps me in all facets of my life, right? The more I lean, and that's one of the, you know, as a, as a, as a I had really negative experiences uh, in athletics as a kid. And so I never could understand what's the big deal of people loving sports so much. And one of the things I finally figured out about that kind of stuff is, one, it, sports, when done well, is a major practice in growth in virtue because it's teaching people how to do stuff that's hard and work through the pain and, and, and grow and develop a skill uh, that, that can be, in many cases, a team sport. And you grow in all sorts of practices that are terribly helpful as a human being. And if you can lean into the pain of knowing to do the sport, uh, then that allows me to grow in all other aspects of my life. So I think what your point is just really important. Thank you. Somebody else, I'm David. Listening more and talking less. You like listening more, talking less. That, how have you tried that this uh, fall? Well, I just really spoke up one one Sunday, and then the rest of the time I've kept my mouth. <laughs> and what you shared was so good, right? So, so now we have that jewel of the thing you shared, and it wasn't spoiled by anything else you might have said later. <laughs> yeah, David. Well, similar to that, I think the very fact that you wanted us to think first. Like for me, who enjoys the pairing and the sharing, that thinking was the hard part for me mm. because I had to sit with myself and figure out what I actually sh should share, not what I want to share or what I'm just going to not listen to the other person because I'm going to think while that other person's talking. It forced me to already have my thoughts together so that I could truly listen <coughs> when that person was sharing. So. I think that that exercise is hard for both sides, yes. not the 85% of the room. Yeah, and you point us back to the, the whole thing about speech, right, is that, um, you know, we, we certainly live in an age in which um, talking a lot and being extroverted is seen as the great virtue of personality. Now, on that, there's a really fascinating book called Quiet. You might be familiar with the book Quiet. Yeah, it's a great book. And one of the things, that, it, it, it's about introverts. And one of the things that she says in there is that in the 19th century in America, the focus in school literature was on character. And in the 20th century, the focus became personality. Isn't that a fascinating shift? And that personality is about personality, talking, you know, the, the salesman. Um, but what that overlooks is that it's much more important not whether you talk a lot or don't talk a lot. Or the impression that you make on a room by how, how winsome you are. But instead it's first a question of character. And the question of character about speech typically goes what is going to be useful in the words that I speak. You know, how can I speak into the given situation in a way that affects some sort of kindness or redemption or mercy? And I always be asking myself that question. So the thinking before the talking, terribly important sort of thing to, to note there. 
I had a man one time taught me, um, this man does a lot of public speaking, and I remember one time him saying that before he tries, every time before he speaks in a public setting to, to, to pray simply, God help me to speak. And, um, and, I, and I oftentimes try because thinking of him, um, I mean, it's a weirdo kind of thing to tell you, but especially if I've got a public speech, I will oftentimes, I try almost every time, to slip into the bathroom and get in the stall and get on my knees and simply to say, God, may it be with me according to your will, help me to speak. And, um, and one of the things that's allowed me to do is to stop thinking it's about me and to realize it's about the gathered people, right? And it allows me to, to think more in terms of this is about us and the words that are here with us. Um, it's about serving. So thanks, David. Somebody else? Dana? I think I really want to um, have the courage to speak a word of justice when it's intimidating because I'm not very quick on my feet. And so I'll get home from a, you know, something and go, oh, why didn't I, I, I wish I would have said this and this and this, you know. And it makes me so mad that I didn't have the guts or really just the words mm -hmm. to, to say what I should yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and that and that points back to the the thing about because um, I find myself a lot of times in that situation thinking, oh, I wish I had said, or I could have said. And one of one of the things I found that helps me some is um, I try to think, okay, if I'm in that situation again, how would I handle that? And then I re I rehearse in my head the scenario. And then I, I think through me actually saying, and sometimes I'll say it out loud, you know. Um, and then sometimes it does come up again, and I've got it kind of more there readily available. So, great, thank you. Uh, I didn't really think about it until you had uh, talked about it in class, but one of the things that I've done, I don't want people to experience me differently than I think they are. So the receiving feedback, to have somebody uh, that I trust tell me how they're experiencing me. Because I know over the years, if I feel people pull away, or uh, is am I needy, am I attention seeking, am I taking over the room uh, by talking too much, that has been really helpful, even though it's hard to hear that I can only take so much of you and then I have to <laughs> move on. Uh, but it really helps us not have shadows that we are blind to about how people are experiencing us. And then when you put it in one of these, I thought, wow, that's really um, been helpful and falls in a pretty great category. Yeah. Thank you. That, that's, yeah. And that takes a lot of courage. I admire that courage. Well, they have to be people that you can hear. Yes, that's right. People who are trustworthy. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, great, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm like a world class warrior, so I really love my voice. And oh. I like to speak present. And so, when I, and I don't like cold, so the whole thing off the bathroom. You don't, you don't like what? The cold. The cold. So like that, really, I was like, okay, I need to like step into like, so every morning, every time I take the dog out, I used to like, like, be on my phone and watch this do this business, like kind of making sure he wasn't going to like, so I stopped doing that and I just go out. So we do have a beautiful backyard and I've just been trying to just embrace the cold and the rain or whatever it is. 
And so the other morning I went out and he was taking forever and I was just, you know, and I was like, I'm just going to be present. And I looked up and in the field behind our house it was covered in frost and there were two of those beautiful deer. And they looked up and they looked like right at me and I would have missed that moment completely if I had done what I always do, which is, and I, I wished I had had my phone to take a picture, but I didn't, <laughs> which was great too, because I got to just experience that. And we, and we never have deer out there. And it was just such a beautiful moment. And I, that I've really been trying to like, just to be like feet on the ground the breeze like that and it is very helpful because I worry it's just like my nemesis is always there so that's been a good practice for me and then also the um, listening more and talking less like I, I've been really trying to not like be thinking of what I'm going to say next when people are talking to me and that it's been good conversations so. Emily I've got one more for you to try okay. <laughs> I don't think I've talked about this one um, but I have found one helpful practice for me that leans into the making myself uncomfortable. Uh, I, mean, I know Ken does something like this, but I, I, I'm not at Ken's like PhD level on this, and I'm like elementary school. But so this is what I what I do, and it's it's harder right now in the winter. But um, take my shower, and then the last 60 seconds is all full cold, and it's a great practice. <laughs> No, I'm not messing with you. First of all, first of all, if you have, uh, here's some practical health benefits. One, if you have dry skin, you won't have dry skin anymore, right? You won't have to use baby oil like I had to do for years and years because your all your skin takes all that water and goes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll not let it go. Uh, two, uh, it's a good daily practice in being uncomfortable. And, and three, there, there are other kind of, apparently, other kind of health benefits of being cold. Um, and uh, it, it actually ramps up your uh, caloric um, burn and so forth. So anyway, and, and there are others that will suggest it will help with depression. So I've been doing it for years, and I, suggest, I highly suggest you try it. You can do it. <laughs> uh, what else? We got, we got another five minutes. Somebody else? Uh, something you've tried or something you want to try? Say 60 seconds or six seconds? <laughs> <laughs> I think six I could do. Start with six and build up to 60. Yeah. Good and great. Good and great. That's right. Yeah. Six will be good. <laughs> I know I, some I, of you have to think, is he for real? <laughs> kid you not, the way I generally have gotten to where most of the time I don't flush the toilet is I realized some years ago, I would, I literally, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, I would go into the bathroom, I'd hear Laura in the shower, and I would, I would use, I would urinate, and then I'm, the whole time I'm urinating, I'm saying, don't flush the toilet, don't flush the toilet, don't flush the toilet, don't flush the toilet, I'm done. 
flush the toilet. <laughs> and so what I've done, you know, I finally, to overcome that wiring, is I go in there, and as I'm urinating, I'm saying, flush the toilet, burn it. Flush the toilet, burn it. You can get her. You can get her. And sometimes when we've had an argument, I'm thinking, I really want to get her. <laughs> but if I do that, I'm able not to flush the toilet. Right? And so it goes with all of this stuff, right? We look for ways to deal with the facts of our wiring and find ways to override that and get a new, a new practice in place. I just want to thank y'all for being so honest and open about your relationship and about your struggles and stuff. That has just been so refreshing to hear somebody like you <coughs> open up about it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks for the gifts of this day and for your mercies and your kindnesses to us. We're grateful, O oh God, that you have called us to be your people and that you have not left us alone in our suffering or our misery, but that you have showered your grace into our lives and that you have poured out your spirit upon your people. We ask, O oh God, that you would give us courage that we may seek to plow the ground of our hearts that we may receive your grace in all fullness and all manner of abundance. We're grateful for this time that we have had together this term and we give thanks for this body of your people in this place. Uh, we pray that you would bless us all as we seek to remember the coming of our Christ into the world and the coming of your redemption in a new way into the midst of human history and that you would help us to be faithful witnesses. And we pray together now as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.